This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. 13,000 millionaires could pour out of China and take their cash with them. That's according to a new report. It continues a trend that started last year. But what's driving the exodus? And how is the U.S. faring in comparison? We break down the details in today's episode. Before we kick off today's show, a quick word for our sponsor, Preserve Gold. Preserve Gold can help you invest in physical gold and silver, either with a direct purchase or through a retirement account with a precious metals IRA. Precious metals are a hot commodity in today's economy. With persistent inflation, bank failures and rising government spending, now many Americans are turning to gold and silver to hedge risk. Preserve Gold is one of the nation's fastest growing gold companies and prides itself on honest business practices and customer care. Check out their online reviews to see for yourself. For a limited time, you can get $200 and 1% cash back when you invest with them. Please call 855-962-3322 to learn more about this offer and get your free investor guide. That's 855-962-3322. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Big money is escaping China. A new report predicting the country would have the biggest outflow of millionaires globally in 2023. The report comes from Henley and Partners, a consultancy firm focused on investment migration. It estimates China would lose over 13,000 millionaires, followed by India and the UK. A Guangdong-based immigrant agent who mainly serves China's wealthy gave his take, noting he's seeing a growing number of clients leaving China. The agent told the South China Morning Post that clients are concerned about the long-term value of their assets in China in the country's slowing economy. The report said last year over 10,000 wealthy people left China, taking almost $50 billion with them. But why are they leaving? The report points to several possibilities. The slowing economy, harsh COVID-19 restrictions in recent years, and Chinese leader Xi Jinping's push for common prosperity. That campaign urges China's rich to share their money with others to reduce inequality. Countries like Australia and Singapore are popular destinations for wealthy individuals looking to relocate. In comparison, the U.S. is still attracting the rich rather than losing them. America is expected to see the inflow of over 2,000 high rollers this year. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is prepping for his trip to China this weekend. He spoke to his Chinese counterpart on Wednesday. But the call didn't seem to help ease tensions between the two superpowers. China's Qinggang warned Blinken that the U.S. should stop interfering in China's internal affairs and accused Washington of stifling China's development interests in the name of competition. Referring to those internal affairs, Beijing pointed out its core concern, the Taiwan issue. China claims that the island is part of its territory, though the Chinese regime has never governed Taiwan. High-ranking U.S. officials have met with Taiwan's leaders in recent months to reinforce ties with the island, angering Beijing. Responding to Qing's remarks, Blinken's office emphasized the importance of communication and the Biden administration's goal for cooperation between the U.S. and China, 
Washington's chief diplomat is scheduled to travel to China and Britain between June 16th and June 21st. That's after canceling his previous plan amid the Chinese spy balloon incident. Blinken's trip will mark the first visit to China by a U.S. Secretary of State in five years. Is China's economy on the road to recovery? After three years of strict COVID-19 lockdowns, analysts say the outlook is grim. That's as China's manufacturing slowdown deepened in May, grappling with a lack of demand. We hear from some Chinese manufacturers for a first-hand look. As soon as Beijing ended its zero COVID-19 restrictions at the end of last year, executives with a Chinese automaker for electric buses traveled to Russia and Southeast Asia, hoping to seize orders from clients who had lost contact for three years. To be honest, last year we barely had any meetings with overseas clients. This May we have only received three groups. Faced with weak demand from the domestic market, the automaker is shifting its focus toward overseas markets like Russia, Korea, Thailand and Myanmar. Similarly, another automaker focused on special purpose vehicles is struggling to recapture orders lost during the pandemic. And it's not an easy task. It is still in the process of recovering, so the growth is quite slow. The company's April sales increased by just a single-digit percentage compared to last year. And at that time, China was still under stringent virus rules. Regarding China's manufacturing PMI and also the recent the, uh, data on the price and also profits from the industrial sector, industrial sector, all uh, pointing to some kind of weakness. Weakening global demand has hurt Chinese manufacturers after central banks in the U.S., Europe and Asia raised interest rates to cool inflation. And we are certainly seeing that coming through as a bit of a consumer confidence being affected as well. At home, Chinese consumer spending revived in the first quarter, driven by China's rapid reopening from lockdown. But the second wave of rebound has not yet come as expected, with workers' income and shopping sentiment lagging behind. My income has been greatly affected, for sure. A security firm owner says his wealthy clients are no longer quite so willing to spend. The economy is not recovering very well, because a lot of clients who are bosses are not intending to spend on hiring as they did before. And an IT worker saying people are now more cautious about bulk expenses, like buying property. Now I have misgivings about spending money. COVID-19 and changes in the international situation have made us worry a lot. The unstable economic outlook and possible job losses have sent jitters through Chinese consumers. An official survey in April found a record one in five young workers in Chinese cities were unemployed. If the weak growth continues over the next few months, experts say Beijing may issue stimulus measures to secure the growth target. I think altogether that's really causing well our China economists themselves, the team, to look at the number and actually lowering some of the forecasts for industrial production. China's economy faces a long road ahead to reach the ruling Communist Party's growth target for this year, around 5%. A global market intelligence has already downgraded China's GDP growth forecast. 
Smart shoppers beware. An apparent snub from Amazon is taking aim at a Chinese competitor. The tech giant is choosing to exclude China-owned e-retailer Timu from its price-searching algorithm. The system compares products sold on its marketplace with rivals, keeping price tags competitive for customers. Amazon says Timu doesn't meet its requirements. Those rules make sure the company doesn't price match questionable merchandise, including possible counterfeits. But excluding the platform means some goods on Timu could beat out prices offered by Amazon. Owned by China's PDD Holdings, Timu touts low prices for home goods, electronics and apparel shipped from China. The company has sold over $630 million worth of goods as of May, up from $140 million in January. Beijing just announced a new policy to counter its economic bust. China's central bank slashed the interest rate for short-term borrowing on Tuesday for the first time in 10 months. China's policymakers are hoping for an economic upturn. That's as the country's market flounders post-pandemic. Chinese citizens face lower paychecks and businesses keep shutting down. Let's zoom in. China's central bank cutting short-term borrowing costs to support the country's recovery. That means about $280 million will get injected into the market. The interest rate cuts make borrowing money cheaper, easing the process to buy real estate or other investments. Following that example, the country's next six largest national banks cut the rates on the demand deposit to 0.2%, all to encourage people to open their wallets, with many Chinese businesses going bankrupt amid the country's economic bust. Beijing also just announced more than 20 measures to cut costs for China's businesses, including tax breaks and releasing loans. The rate reduction is expected to make the most significant impact on the financial system, with analysts saying other rates for longer lending terms might follow suit. Others believe Beijing must make even more dramatic rate cuts to boost its economy. Amid diplomatic tensions between China and the Philippines, a rare visitor docked Wednesday at the Port of Manila in the Philippines' capital, a Chinese Navy training vessel. With hundreds of cadets and sailors on board, it's making a three-day stop for, quote, goodwill. I feel very proud of my country. The largest of China's naval training ships, the vessel is wrapping up a four-country tour in the South China Sea. It previously visited Vietnam, Thailand and Brunei. But to the Philippines, the presence of a Chinese ship may be cause for concern. Months earlier, a Chinese Coast Guard vessel hit a Philippine patrol boat with a military-grade laser in the South China Sea. Beijing has become increasingly assertive in pressing its broad claims in the region. That has put it at odds with the Philippines, as well as other Indo-Pacific nations. On the other hand, the Philippines has been strengthening ties with the U.S. On top of holding more joint military drills, it also granted the American military greater access to its defense facilities in February. Back to the Chinese naval training ship, it was only open to the Filipino-Chinese community on its first day in port. A Filipino-Chinese businessman was one of those allowed to board the ship. This is a ship of our motherland, and it is built very well, better than those in other countries. Over in China, there was no mention of Beijing's various territorial disputes in the region. State-backed Chinese media reported the tour as an opportunity to deepen friendship with locals. 
Elsewhere in the region, a new step toward countering Beijing's influence just called the stamp of approval. New Zealand and Fiji signed a defense pact on Wednesday. The agreement aims to boost military training and maritime security. It also lays the legal framework for military cooperation. Fiji is among the Pacific Island nations where Washington and Beijing have been competing for influence. That's because the nation and its neighbors occupy a key strategic region. The sense of urgency came to a head last year when Beijing signed a security pact with the Solomon Islands. It put the West on high alert amid concerns that the deal could lead to a Chinese military base just a thousand miles off the coast of Australia. Since then, the U.S., Australia and New Zealand have been working on boosting ties with Pacific nations, with Washington signing a defense cooperation deal with Papua New Guinea last month. Fiji signed a policing agreement with China over a decade ago, but the country's current prime minister suspended that pact after he took power. A warning from U.S. lawmakers Tuesday. They say Beijing could be gearing up to forcibly repatriate refugees who fled North Korea. GOP Congressman Chris Smith chairs the Congressional Executive Commission on China. He told a hearing there's, quote, good reason to believe the directive is imminent. That says North Korea reopens its border post-pandemic. He cited reports that approximately 2,000 and perhaps many more North Korean refugees faced repatriation something he said would subject them to severe human rights violations upon their return. Smith said he shared his concern with the United Nations in April, urging the organization to use its influence with Beijing to stop it. Both China's Washington embassy and North Korea's UN mission did not immediately respond to press requests for comment. Amid deteriorating U.S.-China relations, Hong Kong police on Tuesday arrested a man over alleged vandalism. Earlier, anti-American graffiti was discovered on a wall and gate surrounding the city's U.S. consulate. Let's take a look. Footage showed the word hegemony in English and the words double standards written in simplified Chinese characters. China often accuses the U.S. of pursuing hegemony or global dominance and adopting double standards over issues like human rights. It's reported that the suspect was a 47-year-old man with a two-way permit in and out of mainland China, a document typically issued to Chinese nationals. The incident comes as tensions remain high between Beijing and Washington over Taiwan, among other issues. Coming up, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is going to China after all, but tension is already clouding the agenda, marked by a less-than-welcoming phone call from Beijing. How will the trip play out? Plus, weapons of mass destruction. Experts warning of the most dangerous periods in human history amid China's fast-expanding nuclear arsenal. What are the true nuclear risks? We hear from Bradley Thayer, Director of China Policy at the Center for Security Policy, for details. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. What's the ultimate threat to America? Some experts are pointing to the growing threat from China in what they call the evidence of what may be the greatest intelligence failure in U.S. history. In the meantime, Beijing is expanding its nuclear arsenal and could match the U.S. by 2030. Will U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's trip to China this week solve the problem? 
Bradley Thayer, director from China Policy at the Center for Security Policy, gives us his take. Bradley Thayer, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you, Tiffany. It's my pleasure to join you. So Secretary of State Antony Blinken is going to China after all. He was supposed to go in February, and then we had the spy balloon incident. And he is expected there this weekend. Now, they've already talked on the phone. He was speaking with China's Foreign Minister Qinggan today. And it seems there's a less than warm welcome in a way, because Qinggan was warning him not to interfere in the country's own affairs like Taiwan. This comes as the U.S. sees a thaw with Beijing. So how do you read this upcoming visit? The Chinese are doing what the the Chinese typically do, and that was to humiliate the Biden administration uh, by uh, holding Blinken in his desperate effort uh, to meet with his Chinese colleagues at, at arm's length. So the Chinese have stiff-armed uh, the United States. Um, Blinken has got his wish. Uh, he is going to be able to go to China, as you uh, referenced, but it's under humiliating conditions, and it's part of a larger theme that we're seeing with the Biden administration, where there's a desperate effort to return to the engagement policy, the flawed engagement policy that made China rich. And in terms of, say, actual warfare, there's a lot of talks about nuclear arsenals. China has increased its nuclear warheads from 350 to 410 in 2023, and it could surpass or at least catch up to the U.S. by 2030. What are the nuclear risks here? Well, in fact, China might uh, uh, essentially uh, match the size of the U.S. nuclear arsenal or exceed it uh, far before uh, 2030. Uh, those estimates. So the risks are tremendous because nuclear superiority gives tremendous advantages for the state that has it. We went through the Cuban Missile Crisis with nuclear superiority. And when the Secretary of, of Defense, Robert McNamara, was asked years later, does nuclear superiority matter? He said, uh, no. Would you want to have gone, the, there's a follow-up question, would you want to go through the Cuban Missile Crisis without it? And he said, heck no. Right. It really matters to resolve a crisis on terms favorable to your state. So nuclear superiority does matter in international politics. The Chinese are making that bid for it. And Bradley, you mentioned the term Cold War, and Mike Gallagher, who's the chairman of the House Select China Committee, is also calling this a new Cold War between the U.S. and China this time. And in terms of Cuba, we just heard all these reports about a Chinese spy base there. The administration says it's been there since at least 2019. So if this is a new Cold War, what are the differences this time? Well, the differences are fundamentally that we may be weaker than China. Uh, so it, it may be that we, we won the Cold War with the Soviet Union. The Soviets had an economy about half of ours, or maybe two-thirds the size of ours. Uh, and they lost the marathon with us. Now the shoe may be on the other foot. China may have an economy which is larger than ours or the equal of ours. They may be more innovative. Uh, they may be militarily uh, have superiority or parity in some weapons platforms or things that matter like nuclear uh, capabilities, size of navies, size of, if you will, broadly militaries. So we may be the weaker side uh, in this Cold War. And that's um, very hard for those who are interested in sustaining freedom and, and liberty uh, in uh, the United States and to have those opportunities available um, in the 21st century uh, so that freedom still has a voice 
over tyranny, as evinced by the Chinese Communist Party, uh, that's what's at stake. And we may be weaker this time. And Bradley, speaking of these tensions with China, you recently co-wrote a piece titled, We Need a New 9-11 Commission to Probe the Rising China Threat. And you mentioned that 9-11 was the greatest intelligence failure in our country's history and that it happened in the open. How does this tie into what we're seeing with the Chinese regime? China's rise happened in the open. Uh, all of us could look at the growth of Chinese power year after year. Every year, China got stronger. Where was the U.S. intelligence community? Um, here, your peer is rising, becoming your equal, and yet you're not telling your decision makers, political decision makers, military uh, decision makers, that, hey, you've got a rival now. And while it's weaker, maybe you should take steps to deal with it. And uh, now that it's reached parity in some respects with the United States, we have this threat. That's a huge intelligence failure. Uh, that you allowed your peer to rise, and in fact, you funded it. You helped to uh, uh, accelerate uh, its rise. Um, again, is a second key intelligence failure. So we need a commission to look at that. How could they get it so wrong uh, for so long? Uh, and it's just remarkable when you, when you take a moment and you reflect at what's changed from 1990, when China's about 1.6% of the global domestic product, of the world versus about 19% uh, today. How did that happen? And who was saying, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not such a good idea year after year to have this entity rise under the Chinese Communist Party and allow it to have the strength to evict America's interests from the Indo-Pacific and elsewhere, to have the strength to back up Russia and to make possible support for Russia's aggression against uh, Ukraine and a whole host of other matters. So how that happened needs to be explored so that we can correct this. Uh, it, it's a mistake in the intelligence community about res with respect to their assumptions, and it needs to be addressed and corrected. And given that bleak outlook of the future in a way, what is the solution here? What are the actionable steps the U.S. must take? the world that allowed China to rise and that generated prosperity for so many uh, hundreds of millions of people around the world versus the tyranny that the Chinese Communist Party offers the world and a subordination to the Chinese Communist Party for the Chinese people and other states in international politics. That's the stark choice, the choice that we face today. That's what I would uh, certainly advise in terms of messaging political warfare to call attention to the truth, to call attention to the world that we've generated versus the tyranny that the Chinese Communist Party seeks to create. Bradley Thayer, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tiffany. It's a pleasure to join you today. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.